All right, I invite you to turn in your Bible, sorry if this is a little bit in your way over here, turn in your Bibles to James chapter 1, or in your scripture journal, and we'll be looking at James 1, 12 to 18 this morning. If you're, you're new, maybe you've picked up on it already, but we are looking in the, the book of James throughout this fall, up until uh, the end of November will take us through there. And so one of the things that we, we often do, if you are new or fairly new to our, our church, is that we, we take, we look at a particular book of the Bible and we walk kind of through it um, pretty much verse by verse. And, uh, and the way that we, we believe that this, this gives us a, a fuller picture uh, of what the, the gospel writers and the, the letter writers, um, the uh, inspired authors of God's Word are, are meaning to say as we look at it in a little bit more fullness. And, uh, and so that's what we're doing as we go through James. It has a lot to say to us. It has things that will, will probably convict us and, and challenge us in lots of different ways about how we actually live out our faith, how we put our, that, that deed in our creed as we talked about last week. It's, it's action. And uh, today's is a little bit of a background in that, but it has very much, very big implications on how we live out our Christian life. So let's take a look at it. James chapter 1, verse 12 to 18. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each one, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then after desire, then desire when it has conceived gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Verse 16. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. (laughs) Got myself tripped up a little bit because, as I said, I, I memorized this in the NIV, and so I'll, I'll sometimes be like, wait, that's, that's not how it goes. But oh yeah, we're, so we're in the ESV according to these scripture journals uh, is where we focus on uh, during the series. But maybe you've memorized it in a different one. And I, I do also remind you of that challenge to memorize uh, chapter one of James. So let me ask you this. How many of you tried that, took, took some on? Sweet. There's a, there's a couple of you that actually, you know, put some deed. Do you know? I'm just kidding. Give it, a, give it a go. All right. So today what we're going to look at is this, is how the writer of James, uh, James, the half-brother of Jesus, as we talked about last week, points out things that are really important for us in our, our day-to-day life and how we perceive God's involvement in that. So I'm going to go through three things today out of this passage and a little bit referring to last week as well. <clears throat> but what James says is going to be in this life that we live in. And so in this life, there's going to be trials to endure, temptations to resist, 
and a trustworthy God to depend on. All right, here we go. <clears throat> so there's trials. Trials are, are external things that we need to endure, the things that come at us in our life. We gave this definition last week. We said it's an unwelcome, unanticipated difficulty. Okay, it's unwelcome, unanticipated, didn't, we didn't want it or expect it. it, it just happens. It was funny, when I was writing this, typing this out, and maybe it was my spell check or just my brain, how it, it worked, I often wrote trails instead of trials. And so I was thinking about, I'm not a hiker, but some of you I know are hikers, and, and I think that it doesn't quite apply to this because a trail isn't necessarily unwelcome or anticipated because most of the time you plan it out, right? And it happens to be difficult, well, that's just on you if you are a, a hiker, but it doesn't really work. But, so a trial, not a trail, I mean, it could be, I guess, if you went off the road and got lost, and anyways, it doesn't matter. That was just a side thing. It just kept coming up. Trails, trails. It's not a trail to endure. It's a trial to endure. And so it's an unwelcome, unanticipated difficulty. What does this look like? Well, it could be various things. It could be a common human experience. Common human experience. Life can be, can be difficult, hard. People lose their jobs. There's an economy issue. There's a recession. We don't know what's going to happen. There's jobs that could be on the line. People experience relational pain. Things that you buy, things that you use, things for work, things at home, they break down. Just happens. A tire goes flat. And, and you don't get that tire, you know, on your way to work, it's always if, if you're late for something or, you know, the tire goes flat. You don't say, oh, I expected that. I anticipated that. Now, whether you neglected that tire for a long time and you knew that chances are likely it's going to, you know, get flat, again, well, that's, that's kind of on you. But it happens. Something happens in common human experience. Or you get a health diagnosis. A normal trial of life. And it fits this definition sometimes based on the capacity or the optimism of the person that is affected. I mean, this is extreme, but if someone says, you know, I got something happened, I was in an accident, I lost my leg, and they're like, oh well, I got more extremities, I got more, I can still grab onto things. Like, you know, they could have that idea. It's like, well, I still got another one. Could be, if that's their perspective. Whereas someone else, man, they get a common cold laid out for the month. Just this capacity and understanding what is a trial can be variable with people. You think about some of our ancestors, uh, perhaps they came to Canada. They got some land covered in thistles and dust and they made a home, they made a life. We hear stories in, in, from Tanya's family about her oma and opa during the war, and her opa was off you know, serving uh, in the war, and how her oma had to carry the kids you know, on her back through a snowy mountainous pass. I think it kind of grows you know, the, the legend, but you know, it's like she carried these children on her back to the refugee camp 
Life got hard at times. And there's times where some of us, we wake up and we see, man, there's dirty dishes on the counter. It's too rough. (laughs) Now, hear me, I'm not making light of, of our situations in life. Life can be hard, but some of these things, they're just common human experiences, but we still say they're unwelcome, unanticipated, and they're hard. It could be a direct result of persecution. Direct result of persecution. And this is the case, this is often the case of people who received these scriptures. The words of Jesus, as he said, all men will hate you because of me. (laughs) Persecution could soon be a much more of a reality in our country for walking with Jesus. It could be from or allowed by God as an opportunity to, as we talked about last week, but to test your faith. And this is biblical, and this is what it says through a passage. I'll give you a couple you can write down and look more on your own, but in Genesis chapter 22, this is the the story of Abraham and Isaac, and God, it says right at the beginning of Genesis 22, the first verse, it says, sometime later, God tested Abraham. And I appreciate that as a reader now because I go, that was, that was a test. Abraham didn't know that. Didn't wake up one morning and God said, you know, I'm going to test you today. It's nothing, you know, you don't really have to do this, but just, it's just a test. But he told him to go and to sacrifice his son, his only son. To go on a three-day journey, lay out everything for the altar and lay his son on it and to sacrifice his son, to kill him. You're thinking, wow, that's it's a terrible thing for God to do. But we know, we say, it was a test. It was to test his obedience. And it got to the point where he was about to kill his son. And God said, stop. Now I know that you trust me. And the crazy part is later on, we see in scripture, it says that, that Abraham He trusted God so much, he believed God so much that even if he would have taken his own son's life, that God would have just raised him back to life because he was a child of the promise and God had made that promise as part of his covenant with him and God would not break his promise. And we'll see that later on in James that that was that Abraham was an example of what real faith is because he didn't just say, oh yeah, 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 I believe, I believe, I believe. No, he actually put it into practice which is what real faith does and is. But it was a test. God did it. He tested him. Or we see in Judges 2, verse 22, where God is saying about the nations, all these nations, these evil nations around that God had told them originally to wipe out from the promised land, but they weren't able to do. So they set up judges, and as long as the judges were alive, things were good, they followed God, they obeyed God, but when the judge died... They just went back to their wickedness. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And so God was angry about this. He said, this is, you're not really truly being faithful to me. And so to test the nations, he said, I'm not going to remove those nations. They're going to stay there. They're going to remain near you to test you, to show your faithfulness to me. It was a test. And so in this, 
allowed by God. It also, as we read last week, and we'll go through last week's sermon again, but it says earlier in James, as we read, it's to bring about maturity, perseverance in your life, and to increase, ultimately increase your joy. To see that ultimately nothing compares to knowing God. So there are trials. This is a reality of our life, and those are external. Now, what's interesting about this if you were to do more kind of study on the words, trials and temptations is the same exact word. And that gets a little bit messy in our interpretation because on one hand, God allows trials, but as we'll read, God does not tempt us. So how we kind of parse out this, this word is this, is that trials are external what happened to us in our life that are unwelcome, unanticipated difficulties, but the temptations come from within. It comes from, comes from within. And God does not tempt us, and that's what we'll get to. So a definition of temptation, simple one. Temptation is anything, anything, <laughs> that has potential to lure you away from God with the lie that it will bring you satisfaction apart from God. Okay, do you hear that? So it's anything that will lure you away from God, but there's a lie beneath it. It's hidden underneath it. So this is actually going to satisfy you without God. So temptation, a few things about that. It's not the same as sin. Temptation is not sin. The Bible tells us clearly that Jesus was tempted. Forty days he was specifically tempted, but sometimes we read, oh, he just had to you know, make it through that 40 days and he was good. I, you know, I think the idea is he was tempted throughout his life because Hebrews 4 verse 15 says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are. In every way, Jesus was tempted like us, yet without sin. It's not the same as sin. Temptation can stem from trial. It can stem from the trial. And this is based on your response to the difficulty, which James says is going to require that wisdom and discernment. Because the temptation is to blame God. And so James does his work on this to clear this up. Because that's ultimately probably what the people were saying. is like, this is happening and where is God? Why is God doing this to us? Why are we tempted? So the temptation is to look at the trial and say it's God's fault. And so James says it does not come from God, this temptation. He says when tempted, notice that it's when, not if. It's going to happen in your life. When this this trial difficulty comes along, there might be that temptation to think specific things about God. That God is evil, that God is non-existent, that God is powerless, or that God simply doesn't care. That's the temptation when something hard comes up in our life. It comes from within us. This is what James says. It's our evil desires, our lusts, the things that are within us. 
See, our tendency is always going to be to, to shift the blame. This is what happened right from the beginning, right from the garden, as God really put out this, this word to them. He said, you want to follow me, obey me, love me, do obey me, but do not eat from that particular tree. And of course, they were, they were tempted. And when they gave in to that temptation, and God said, did you eat from that tree that I told you not to? What do they say? Well, the man says, it was the woman. The woman that you gave me. It's very, very uh, clear that he's not just blaming the woman. He's ultimately blaming God. You put her here with me. He wasn't saying that when he brought her in <laughs> at first. He was pretty happy about that, I think. But now, it's her fault. And it's your fault for putting her here. It goes to the woman and she says, it was the serpent who deceived me. See, this is the temptation that we, we blame, shift, pass it off on somebody else. James is also going to recognize that we have an enemy. In James 4, verse 7, we'll get to that, that there is an enemy, the devil, who is also involved in, in tempting us, accusing us, trying to drag us down. We also know that we live in a fallen world, and the world around us continually brings temptation into our life. But James is saying that sin really only has a chance to grow based on what's inside of us, inside of you. You might be tempted to say, well, if, if only I could, I could flee the, the world and isolate myself, live, live in a corner just on my own, no one around, and, and maybe I'd be free from, from temptation and ultimately to sin. Well, in the 4th century, there was a guy named Simeon the Stylite, and uh, he was a 4th century monk, and he was one that believed in kind of extreme asceticism, so he, he, would, he would be like anything that was pleasurable, anything like, it was self-disciplined to the max. So for a while, he lived in a hut all by himself, and then he thought, well, I got to get away from people more, so he... he built a, a pillar, it was nine feet, and he, was, he sat on that for quite a long time. But then there were still people that were within reach, so he said, I got to build a bigger, bigger pillar. And so 50 feet up, <laughs> 50 feet up, he lived. Anyone know how long he lived there? 37 years. 37 years on the top of this platform and this 50-foot tall pillar and, you know, brought his boys from the, the town, brought food from the market or whatever, milk and bread for him and all kinds of other questions of what he did with things. But, you know, anyways, 37 years. He said, I, I can't, I don't want to be tempted. I don't want to be tempted to sin. And, and it was his way of saying, I need to earn my way to God by sacrificing everything. But, you know, he couldn't escape himself. There was still pride involved, in it, thinking that this is what he was doing. And obviously, he wasn't being obedient to actually serving or loving anyone. But he couldn't escape his own desires inside. See, the desires within us, this picture that James points out, it's like a fishing or a hunting, uh, you know, example and, you know, some of you in, you know, Southern Alberta guys, you're just going to like, oh, yeah, this is, this, is a, this is a good thing. Remember last week we said uh, James likes to do these metaphors, and this is one. 
So the evil desires within us, it's this, this idea of a trap set with a bait, a lure. You know, if you like going fishing, I'll tell you, I, I have never caught a fish. Oh, actually I did. I think I caught a fish in a, in a little trip, uh, trout pond one time. It seemed kind of easy to me, but I've never actually caught a fish other than that. I've, I've gone fishing, but I've never caught a fish. And to me, that, that just doesn't seem to be right. Why would I sit out there all day? But some of you love that. And you, you do all the research and you find what kind of fish do you want to catch and, and where's the best place to catch them and what kind of lure to use. And so this is what James is saying is that there is a lure, something that's it's shiny, tasty, looks attractive to you. Right? If, if sin wasn't attractive, why, we wouldn't do it. Right? If it didn't have an appeal to us. And so our evil desires, it's like this, it's the idea of the setting a trap, this lure, and once, once you grab onto that, it's just like the fish being like yanked into the boat, dragged away. Two common illustrations in the Bible uh, that talk about this are, are referring to two things that definitely trip us up is sex and money. And you can insert whatever tempts you in here, but these are, are the clear examples on those two topics in Scripture. Proverbs 7, verse 22. Uh, Proverbs 7 talks about this, this young man. You know, Proverbs written by, by Solomon, this wise man. You know, he's, he's imparting wisdom. And he says he, he looks out, you know, through his window into the courtyard and he sees this young man who's naive, you know, he's just not, he's not, not, not a smart guy to, with ways of, of things of right and wrong. And, and he sees this woman, this promiscuous, this adulterous woman, and, and she invites him to come home with him. And he says this, he followed her like an ox to the slaughter. He was like a stag caught in a trap awaiting the sorrow that would pierce his heart. He was like a bird flying into a snare, little knowing that it would cost him his life. This is a result of falling into the trap of sexual sin. We see it today, over and over and over again. It's, a, it's an alluring thing. It's like, that's a, it's a temptation. And when we get caught in that trap, it drags us down. Or money, 1 Timothy 6 verse 9 Paul writes this, he says, but people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. Money, it's a common thing, we all need it. But if there is a, an alluring quality to it, they say, I need that, I need more of it. You long to be rich, there's this temptation and you fall into a trap and ultimately tragedy. See, there's a deadly progression. And this is what I'm going to draw on these, these boards. I'm going to do a little old school for you. So I don't forget my notes. So I'm going to put them right here just so you're wondering what I'm doing. All right. So this is what James is talking about. And I'm sorry if you can't quite see it. I'll try to draw as big as I can. So first of all, we have We have desire. This is a result of the, the fall, um, go, could go in a lot on that, but that's, that's the result. We have a natural bent, natural inclination to sin, 
and, and this is a result of the fall. So we have these, these evil desires. And then he says, but there is conception. And this is, what he's talking about here is, is definitely like a childbirth. So there's conception, which moves to sin, which grows. Now, here's, here's one thing that's very clear about sin. You might think, oh, it's just a little sin, or it's just a little sin I did one time. But that's not what sin is. There's a, there's a growth cycle to sin. It grows, and it ultimately says that it actually matures. See, sin, when it is full grown, this is what happens. It grows. And then it gives birth to death. Now, listen, this is a very graphic illustration. If you, if you memorize James 1 and you do this as I did, I went over this and it probably just flowed out of me and I never actually caught the picture of this. But if you think of this in terms of like a, a birth, like a childbirth, it's a pretty graphic image. This is what happens. There is, there is desire, conception, gives birth to sin. Sin grows. It starts to grow. And when you give birth to that, it's stillborn. It's death. And if you've ever known or walked through that with a couple, as I have, it is devastating. But that's the result, that's the path of your life when you start walking in this direction where sin takes hold, takes root in you. <laughs> it grows. But then when you give birth to it, when it's fully grown, it's just death. And that's the, that's the temptation that, that leads us in that way. It's like, it's like you're really wanting something, a juicy piece of fruit. It looks so good. And you taste it, and it just turns to ash in your mouth. That's sin. That's the picture that James is pointing out. And yet we mess around with sin. We say, oh, it's not that big a deal. I think that our, our consciences in so many ways have gotten hard to things that are sin, and we don't want to talk about sin. And I'll tell you this, if you're new in our church, we talk about sin here, because if we don't talk about sin, then we don't talk about the solution, and that's Jesus. And if you don't hear about the solution here, then please go somewhere else. Because we live in a fallen world, and you and I, we're broken people, and this is the effect of sin in our life. And it's devastating. And it causes pain and destruction in our world. And ultimately, as Romans says, it's, it's the wages of it is, is death. So it's not something to mess around with. It's not something to be trifled with. But we also have to say there is, there's hope. And that is Jesus. And that's where James turns to it. He says, don't be deceived. Don't be tricked. Don't be tempted into thinking when something happens in your life, it's God that's doing that. He's saying there's a better option. There's a trustworthy God that we can depend on. He says he is the giver of every good and perfect gift. So we know this. Underline that in your journal, that he gives good things, perfect things. And here's a really clear or a clarifying statement about that. 
what you think is good may not really be good. What the culture says is good may not really be good. God is the source of what's good, and he defines what is good. It may make no sense to you. He gives us what is good. And you know it as, as you have children maybe in your life, and they would say it's good to eat candy all day long. And you say, it's not good. They're like, I like it. I want that. But you're the parents. You're the authority. You're the one that says, no, that's not good. You keep eating that diet. <laughs> you keep eating this diet. You keep leading this way. It brings death. God says, I have something better, something perfect for you. And it comes out of his nature. And that's where James says that he's unchanging. It doesn't change. God is the same today, yesterday, tomorrow, forever. He is the same. He does not change like shifting shadows. He's trustworthy, absolutely. He's he's the absolute perfection of the one of perseverance and steadfastness because he doesn't shift. He doesn't change. There's never shifting sand with God. Absolutely reliable. And so we come to this where we have a different progression. So we have an issue of discomfort in our life. A trial, unwelcome, unexpected, unanticipated. What does that lead us to? It leads us to questioning God. We're human, we do this. And we say, why is this happening? Why, why, Why are you doing this? It could lead us to temptation. We say, God, you're doing this. And blaming God. Or, as James says, we get wisdom from God and discernment. And out of that, we see that God is asking us to persevere. To persevere. It's going to be hard. But you're going to grow in it. And you're going to depend on God more because of it. And so out of that, there is a maturity because that's what he says too, grows. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature. And the fruit of that, he says, is joy or true life. You see the difference. This is what we have in Jesus. Now, the way that James ends this And how we'll end today. When we come to this, and as I said, there's an answer to this problem that we have. As long as we live this life, there's going to be temptation. As long as we live this life, there's going to be evil desires that are lurking within us that we need to to put off, we need to resist. And James is going to give us some more helpful advice on that throughout this book. But the one thing that I want to leave you with that you have to take away from this is when, when James is saying that, that God, the Father, gave us birth. NIV, as I've memorized, it says, he chose to give us birth through the word of truth. And so it's a different kind of a birth, not to death, but to life. And that is found in Jesus. So when he's speaking of the word of truth, the gospel, that's Jesus.
It's the greatest gift that we could ever receive. So hear me today. You're going to have trials and you're going to have temptations. But could we, as a church, gather together, take heart together, lean on God, lean on each other, but realize that Jesus has overcome the world. He has overcome sin and death by the cross. And he gives us life through the power of his resurrection. And he gives us life in abundance. Let's pray.